History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 428th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have one of our favorite topics, along with our listeners' favorite topics, Haunted Cemeteries, and it's number 22. So excited. We have five cemeteries that are reputedly haunted that we'll be bringing to you. But before we get into that, we want to welcome Angela, Dustin, Julie, and Allison to our spectacular crew. Thank you for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment in Oddity was suggested by John Michaels. Jasper Newton Daniel was an American distiller and businessman. He was known to everybody as Jack. So, yeah, he was that Jack Daniel. He founded Jack Daniel's Tennessee Whiskey Distillery in Lynchburg in 1875. Jack reportedly learned how to work a still from a preacher, or possibly the slave of that preacher who was named Nearest Green. He was good at distilling, but not very good at remembering combinations. At least, the combination to the safe in his office. Legend claims that he became so frustrated one day that he kicked the safe hard and injured his toe. That toe festered and became infected and then got gangrene, which traveled further up his leg, leading to it needing to be amputated. That didn't stop the gangrene, and it traveled further, causing blood poisoning. This would kill him on October 9, 1911. So basically, Jack died from a stubbed toe. And if that isn't odd enough, he died from an infection for which alcohol can be an antiseptic. And that certainly is odd. He's just getting started. And now, this month in history. In the month of March, on the 31st in 1943, Oklahoma premiered on Broadway. The musical started with the name Away We Go and was predicted to be a huge flop. Gossip columnist Walter Winchell said, No girls, no legs, no chance. The show was also going to take risks like not having a big-name star. The source material was obscure, and this was being helmed by the new duo of Rogers and Hammerstein. Who the hell had ever heard of them? There would not be much spectacle, and the show opened with a lone cowboy singing about Meadows. The show debuted under the new title Oklahoma and had been slightly retooled. The solo performance of the song Oklahoma was changed to a full cast showstopper. The musical set a Broadway record of 2,212 performances before closing after a five-year run. 
That song that the Cowboys sung to open the show is known by nearly everybody today. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Every life is worth remembering, and that is what cemeteries are all about, remembering those who have lived. Some of those people in graveyards were famous, some were powerful, but most are just like us, a mom or dad, sister or brother, or perhaps a friend. Some of those who are buried have chosen to stay with their bodies. Their spirits glide through the tombstones. Other haunting activities in cemeteries seem to feed off the legends told or the rituals held. Join us on Haunted Cemeteries 22 as we share haunted cemeteries in Indiana, Mississippi, Rhode Island, and Pennsylvania. Our first cemetery was suggested by our listener, Ed Jones. Indianapolis's first cemetery was Greenlawn Cemetery, but it proved to not have enough room for all the dead people because this was a growing city. And it's a good thing because the Civil War was coming and they were going to have a lot more bodies coming. Crown Hill Cemetery ended up being the answer. It was established in 1863 by a group of businessmen who formed the Association of Crown Hill. They met with landscape architect and cemetery superintendent John Chislett Sr. to discuss the creation of a garden-like cemetery. Our favorites, of course. Absolutely. Although those creepy little backwoods small ones can be pretty cool, too. (laughs) Well, I like a little bit of them all. But if I'm just wanting to casually wander around and just take in the scenery, the garden ones are amazing. Yeah. But let's just admit it. Dead bodies are our thing. (laughs) Especially if they're in the ground. (laughs) Indeed. These garden cemeteries were growing in popularity during the Victorian era, as you and I and all of our listeners know. The association bought a 166-acre farm and tree nursery at Strawberry Hill. Sounds like a good place to hang out. Which overlooked the city. And as a matter of fact, people who live in Indianapolis like to call Crown Hill Cemetery the crown because it's up there on the hill. Well, makes sense. Chislett's son, Frederick, was hired as the first superintendent for Crown Hill, and he would make sure that his father's plans were followed. This design used many of the natural features already on the land, and the roads were laid out in winding curves. The cemetery was dedicated on June 1, 1864. Lucy Ann Seton was the first burial. She had died of consumption at the age of 33. She would be joined by more than 700 Union soldiers who died in Indianapolis during the Civil War and had originally been buried in Greenlawn Cemetery. And Lucy would also be joined by her daughter who shared the same name. She died four months after her mother. The first Memorial Day was observed on May 30, 1868, and Crown Hill took part with around 10,000 people attending a special ceremony. That number wasn't surprising because Crown Hill Cemetery had become a popular place for families to hang out. They enjoyed picnics and walks through the park-like setting, and the cemetery quickly added more to enjoy, building a Gothic chapel and vault in 1875, a new three-arched gateway in 1885, and a new gate and gatehouse in 1900. More land was added as well, and by 1911, Crown Hill covered 550 acres, making it the third largest non-governmental cemetery in the United States. The Cemetery Association decided they wanted to add something special in 1912. 
Indianapolis's pioneers were buried in Greenlawn Cemetery, and they wanted to bring them here. So they established Crown Hills Pioneer Cemetery and moved the bodies of 1,160 early settlers. This area is bordered by a black metal fence. The Confederate mound was created in 1933, and over 1,600 Confederate burials were moved here. The community mausoleum was dedicated in 1951, and a series of garden mausoleums that were outdoors was completed in 1962. To help with preservation at the cemetery, the Crown Hill Heritage Foundation was established in 1984. A new crematorium and mortuary were added in the 1990s. Famous burials here include President Benjamin Harrison. There's a Harrison family plot that includes his first wife, Caroline, who died while Harrison was president, and their son, Russell. Their daughter, Mary, is buried nearby. She served as first lady while her mother was ill. Caroline died during the re-election campaign that Harrison lost. Booth Tarkington was a well-known novelist and playwright in the early 1900s and won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction twice. He's buried in a mausoleum in Lot 13. Writer James Whitcomb Riley was the richest writer of his time, and when he passed away in 1916, he was buried here. He has a large Greek revival monument that includes 10 white columns and a sculpture of a young boy reading a book. The chemist and founder of Eli Lilly and Company, Colonel Eli Lilly, is buried here in an ornate mausoleum. He was inspired to found the company after his young wife died from malaria. And Richard Jordan Gatling, founder of the Gatling Gun Company, is buried in Section 3, Lot 9. He created the Gatling Gun, which was popular during the Civil War. This gun has six barrels on a revolving frame and was powered by a hand crank. This gun could shoot 1,200 rounds per minute. The more portable machine gun would make it obsolete. And the infamous gangster and bank robber John Dillinger has his final resting place here. Maybe. There are doubts that the body buried in Dillinger's space is really him, but attempts to have him disinterred have failed. Family members and others believe there are inconsistencies in the autopsy, including eye color, fingerprints, the shape of the head, and ears. The grave is in Section 44, Lot 94. Riots nearly broke out on the day he was buried in the cemetery on July 26, 1934. This was four days after he was shot outside of the Biograph Theater in Chicago. Souvenir hunters started breaking off chunks of his tombstone, and over the years, the stone has been replaced several times. Can you imagine people just going in there and chiseling? No, it's horrible. And how do you prove that that was actually, look, this is from John Dillinger's tombstone, okay? And if you're showing me that, I think you're a jerk. Yeah, no kidding. The family eventually covered his plot with concrete to be sure no one actually stole the body. So sad that you have to actually think about that type of thing. Yeah, there are several people that have had to do it just to make sure. There are spirits here, and we'll start with one of the most poignant spots in the cemetery. This is Section 37, which is a memorial for children that died while at the Indianapolis Children's Asylum, the Children's Guardian's Home, and the Asylum for Friendless Colored Children. What a horrible name. Why would you call it that? I mean, I understand the colored term being used back in that time, but friendless? That's horrible. I mean, friendless? It doesn't mean they don't have any friends. Clearly, they don't have any family if, if they're put in one of these things. But, you know, they're calling them asylums and everything else, too. But, oh. That's true. These children died between the years of 1892 and 1980 from neglect, starvation, and disease. Some even died because formaldehyde was added to milk to kill any pathogenic microorganisms. Oh, my gosh. That's wow, that, that was a great idea. Who would ever even think Ugh. formaldehyde, we use that to preserve dead bodies. I wonder if that would help if we put it in milk. 
Good Lord. This is a mass grave numbering 699 children. Indy ghost hunters investigated the cemetery and they focused on Section 37. They caught several EVP. A couple were humming, another said, help her, and another said, they think it's me. This makes sense because there are claims of people hearing the playing of children and disembodied humming. Unfortunately, there are sometimes screams also heard. Visitors to the graveyard have also seen the apparition of a woman holding a baby and wandering around the graves. People wonder if she's lost or looking for something. She vanishes after being seen. You know, this woman walking around in a cemetery holding a baby is becoming almost as common as seeing a woman in white walking around or a woman in black walking around a cemetery. You're right. We keep hearing about it. hear that a lot. The ghosts of soldiers in uniforms are also seen, and it's said that these spirits are from all of the different wars, so they see them in all different kinds of uniforms. They disappear after being seen as well. Unexplainable lights are seen in the cemetery, too, and disembodied footsteps are heard. And there's a version of the Resurrection Mary story connected to Crown Hill. This one goes the opposite way, though. Normally, we hear that a person picks up this hitchhiking woman. She tells them that she wants to go to this location that's near the cemetery or to the cemetery, gets out of the car and disappears as she goes through the gates. Well, in this case, this hitchhiking ghost gets picked up at the cemetery and gives an address to be taken to, but disappears before arriving. Then if the driver goes to the door, they find out that this woman who'd been in their car has passed away or no one at the address knows the girl. Interesting. Next up, we have Cedar Rest. Bay St. Louis on the Mississippi Gulf Coast was once called Shieldsboro and located on South 2nd Street is a very old cemetery known as Cedar Rest. The cemetery was founded in 1820, but the oldest burial dates to 1815. There are around 2,400 graves here. We thought this was a fun story. The Seacoast Gazette was a local Victorian-era paper, and it reported that a J.B.I. and his wife were buried in a crypt with a spire that was facing west across from the bathtub. We, of course, wondered what the bathtub was, and apparently that was what people called a watering trough for horses that sat in front of the first courthouse in Bay St. Louis. In 1993, the Hancock County Historical Society started an annual cemetery tour at Halloween. Bud Steed shares a chilling story in his book, Haunted Mississippi Gulf Coast. Some hippies were hanging out in the cemetery, smoking some pot in the 1970s, as they did. I was going to say, as one would do. (laughs) (laughs) Their group was suddenly joined by another man that nobody knew, but they weren't against joiners. I mean, they're hippies after all. And, you know, I don't know. Did they check to see if he brought some of his own stuff? The group grew uncomfortable, though, because the man just gave off a menacing stare. He was kneeling and had mutton chop sideburns and a long scar that ran down the left side of his face. One of the guys finally told him to get lost, but the stranger just kept staring. The guy then reached out to push him away from the group and his hand went right through the stranger. This was clearly a ghost and the group tore out of the cemetery, except for the young man who had challenged the ghost. The spirit had grabbed him by the shoulders, told him to get out of his house and threw him to the ground. The ghost then turned and faded away. Now, Kelly, you and I would normally be like, well, they were high, so of course they saw a ghost. But this particular apparition has been seen many times in the cemetery. There are also strange orbs of light seen dancing among the tombstones, and the spirit of a young woman holding a parasol has been seen. She usually nods at whoever sees her, turns into the cemetery, and disappears. 
I mean, the whole time you were reading that paragraph, my jaw was hung slack. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> well, and the weird thing to me is with the story, he goes to push the guy like, get out of here. And he goes through him. And yet it was able to pick him up by the shoulders. Yeah, that's what I thought was strange. Yeah, and so, I mean, like, was the get... pot laced with something? <laughs> that I don't know. <laughs> did he get but... corporal for half a second so he could grab the guy and do that? I don't know. But certainly is odd. Yeah. So I don't know if they'd heard the stories and then it just kind of fed into whatever. Of course, they might have been doing something more than just smoking pot. I don't know. But fun story nonetheless. And I like that he considered the cemetery his home and he was telling him to get out. Next, we have the Rock and Roll Graveyard. The Rock and Roll Cemetery is also known as the William Seymour Cemetery and is located in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. This small private graveyard is located near Back Bay in Fort Bayou. The cemetery probably earned its name from its most famous haunting. An elderly woman is seen rocking in a rocking chair. There are strange sounds heard like growling and moaning, and shadow figures have been seen. Sam Seymour has explained that this is his family's cemetery. He said, I know a lot of history to the place, and even have keys to the gate. I believe the old woman that everyone sees is my great-grandmother, Ada. Her grave is located four graves down on the right of the tree. I can remember her sitting on the porch in a rocking chair every evening. Yeah, when I first saw this, I'm like, rock and roll graveyard. Do they have some famous rock and roll people buried there? <laughs> That's what I was expecting. <laughs> it literally is a family, a small family graveyard, and it's called that because Grandma rocks. <laughs> Granny's rocking in the rocking chair. <laughs> A person going by Anonymous posted on a website, Hi, my name is Kim and I'm 27 years old. I've lived in Mississippi for 21 years. In high school, my friends and I, looking for a cheap thrill, would hop in the car and drive to Rock and Roll Graveyard. I can honestly say that I've never seen anything in the graveyard, but have heard things. One night, my friends and I went there and on the way in, something dragged over the top of our car. We were so scared that we immediately decided to leave. On the way out, something ran across the road in front of our car that looked like a big blob of water or something. How strange. That I've never heard that description before. But if it's a ghostly figure, it might look like a blob of water, maybe. And, of course, she said she's only heard things, never seen anything. That sounds like seeing something. <laughs> and what about a will of the wisp? Oh, could be something of that nature. And it doesn't say what height it was, so it could have been maybe something smaller. I still, to this day, don't know what it was. I still live about 10 minutes from the cemetery. My in-laws own property on Fort Bayou Road. I've never been there since then. I pass there often and will not look down that road. <laughs> Enough to scare her to that point. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. I can't quite see, Kelly. What level are you on? I'm on 580. Uh, I'm only to 421, but I tell you, every time I get a free moment, I am playing Best Fiends. It is so much fun. I absolutely love it, and I'm kicking those slugs' booties. What do you love most about the game? Just the different challenges. There's always new things that are being added, and that and when I open up a crate, and there's a really cute little fiend in there. I can't wait to see what he looks like as I evolve him. Yeah, and you just got a new one the other day. What was that one? That was the cricket. He's adorable. That's Freddy the Cricket. And you know what? I started growing him up uh -huh. and he had a little maracas in his hand. He was whacking himself in the head with it. <laughs> well, that's perfect for you, right? <laughs> I love him. Yeah, they have great challenges and they go with like the different seasons or holidays. Like right now we're trying to get a bunch of shamrocks and stuff because it's March and we just had St. Patrick's Day. Indeed. 
And so when you get all those, then you get certain prizes in game that you get like uh, bombs you can use or gold that you can use to buy stuff. Or sometimes it gives you different kinds of outfits for your fiends and stuff like that. With thousands of levels, you literally can play as long as you want and never get bored. Trust me on that. (laughs) Yeah, this is a lot of fun. It's a match three mobile puzzle game. And once you get started with it, you are not going to be able to put it down just because it is so much fun. And really, I feel like it's a game aimed at grown-ups, not kids. Yeah, most definitely. I love this far and beyond any other matching game that I've ever played. You can download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Next, we have Swan Point Cemetery. Swan Point Cemetery is located in Providence, Rhode Island, and was founded in 1846. But that isn't when people started to be buried here. The oldest section of the cemetery can be found overlooking the Seekonk River, and there are burials here dating back to 1722. I think it's because they moved some bodies, so they may not necessarily have been buried here in 1722. Gotcha. This is a garden cemetery that started on 60 acres, but now covers 200 acres. There are beautiful flowering shrubs, azaleas, magnolias, rhododendrons, daffodils, and much more. 200 varieties of trees have been counted here. The gorgeous landscaping is complemented with Victorian statuary. The first congressional society were among the first to buy plots, and they transferred their dead from West Burial Ground to this new graveyard. In 1886, landscape architect H.W.S. Cleveland was hired to lay out the plans for Blackstone Boulevard. Boulders from the property were gathered and used to build a boulder wall to border the cemetery. A new cemetery entrance was constructed as well. The greenhouse was added in 1917, and other buildings were added in 1923 and 1932. In 1933, the Alexander Farnham Lippitt Memorial Park was established. Notable burials here include 23 former governors of Rhode Island and Major Sullivan Ballou. Major Ballou had been a successful attorney in Providence, Rhode Island when the Civil War started. He'd also been a former Speaker of the Rhode Island House of Representatives. He volunteered and was enlisted in the 2nd Rhode Island Infantry, and they elected him Major. He was wounded and died at the First Battle of Bull Run. His body was disinterred by Confederates who thought he was Colonel John Slocum, and they desecrated the body and dumped it in a ravine. He was found later by a contingent of Rhode Island officials, including Governor William Sprague. They identified the body by tattered remnants of his uniform. His body was transported back to Rhode Island and buried here at Swan Point. He had written a final letter to his wife that became famous. It reads, My very dear wife, indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write a few lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. Our movement may be one of a few days duration and full of pleasure and it may be one of severe conflict and death to me. Not my will, but thine, O God, be done. If it is necessary that I should fall on the battlefield for any country, I am ready. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans upon the triumph of government, and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution, and I am willing 
perfectly willing to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. But my dear wife, when I know that with my own joys I lay down nearly all of yours and replace them in this life with care and sorrows, when after having eaten for long years the bitter fruit of orphanage myself, I must offer it as their only sustenance to my dear little children. Is it weak or dishonorable while the banner of my purpose floats calmly and proudly in the breeze that my unbounded love for you, my darling wife and children, should struggle in fierce, though useless, contests with my love of country? I cannot describe to you my feelings on this calm summer night when 2,000 men are sleeping around me, many of them enjoying the last, perhaps before that of death, and I, suspicious that death is creeping behind me with his fatal dart, am communing with God, my country, and thee. I have sought most closely and diligently and often in my breast for a wrong motive in this hazarding the happiness of those I loved, and I could not find one. A pure love of my country and of the principles I have often advocated before the people, and the name of honor that I love more than I fear death, have called upon me, and I have obeyed. Sarah, my love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence can break. And yet my love of country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly on with all those chains to the battlefield. The memories of all the blissful moments I have spent with you come crowded over me, and I feel most deeply grateful to God and you that I have enjoyed them so long, and how hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our boys grow up to honorable manhood around us. I know I have but few claims upon divine providence, but something whispers to me, perhaps it's the wafted prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you, nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. Forgive my many faults and the many pains I have caused you. How thoughtless, how foolish I have oftentimes been. How gladly would I wash out with my tears every little spot upon your happiness and struggle with all the misfortune of this world to shield you and my children from harm. But I cannot. I must watch you from the spirit land and hover near you while you buffet the storms with your precious little freight and wait with sad patience till we meet to part no more. But, O oh Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you in the garish day and the darkest night amidst your happiest scenes and gloomiest hours always, always. And if the soft breeze fans your cheek, it shall be my breath. Or the cool air cools your throbbing temples, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me, dear. Think I am gone and wait for me, for we shall meet again. As for my little boys that will grow as I have done and never know a father's love and care, little Willie's too young to remember me long and my blue-eyed Edgar will keep my frolics with him among the dimmest memories of his childhood. Sarah, I have unlimited confidence in your maternal care and your development of their characters. Tell my two mothers I call God's blessing upon them. Oh, Sarah, I wait for you there. Come to me and lead thither my children. This letter was uh, featured in Ken Burns' Civil War documentary, so it might be familiar to anybody who's watched that. Yeah, very, very touching. Yes, I not only wanted to share it for that reason, but also those last few sentences that he's writing to her. He clearly thinks that spirits can come back and hang out with their families. Indeed. And so he's letting her know, if it's possible, I'll be there. More well-known as H.P. Lovecraft is buried here at the intersection of Pond Avenue and Avenue B. Fans took up a collection in 1977 to place the gravestone here. This is a low-gray granite tombstone which reads, I am Providence. That is a line from one of his letters. 
Lovecraft joins the ranks of many historical figures that have done great things with their art or service to humanity, but that have problematic personal lives and bigotry. We have found that we often have to separate the art from the maker. He had a very small readership during his lifetime, which is surprising considering his popularity today. He was born in Providence, Rhode Island on August 20, 1890. He was raised mostly by his mother and her sisters after his father died when he was relatively young. He was often ill, and as a teenager, he and his mother had financial issues. He used writing to escape his circumstances. This didn't prevent him from having a nervous breakdown that prevented him from graduating from high school. He launched his career in weird fiction with The Tomb and Dagon, both published in 1917. Lovecraft married Sonia Green in 1924, and they had a short and difficult marriage, divorcing in 1929. Only one of his works appeared in book form during his lifetime, The Shadow Over Innsmouth, in 1936. His life was cut short at the age of 46 by intestinal cancer on March 15, 1937. One of the reasons we may have spirits at unrest here is that this cemetery inherited a lot of burials from other cemeteries. And we know bodies do not like being moved around. That is the case. But the main haunting here is connected to Lovecraft. Annual gatherings are held around his death date, and this is when the activity increases. Murders of ravens are said to gather in the trees near his tombstone. There are unexplained noises, and there was once a brief freak snowstorm that occurred during a gathering. And Lovecraft's specter is said to appear as a strange, cloudy distortion. Perhaps it could also be a tulpa. That's true. If you've got all these people gathering around and hanging out, maybe they've conjured a little something. And finally, we have Laurel Hill Cemetery. Laurel Hill Cemetery in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, was founded in 1836 and covers 78 acres. This is the second oldest garden cemetery in the United States. The cemetery sits above the Schuylkill River, and the initial founder of the cemetery was John J. Smith and several partners. Smith was a Quaker and librarian, and he realized the friend's graveyard was not going to work for the growing city. The men found a rural area outside of Philly for the cemetery, and it started as 38 acres. Scottish architect John Notman laid out the design. Notman wanted this to be a place of nature and art, and he created a Doric Roman gatehouse, chapel, and superintendent's house as the first buildings. John Smith had planted 2,400 trees by 1844. By the 1860s, the cemetery became so popular that tickets had to be issued to control how many people visited. People would come for walks and picnics or just to drive the carriage through. Over the years, many monuments and statuary were added to the cemetery in the Egyptian Revival, Classical Revival, and Gothic Revival styles. The oldest statues at Laurel Hill are the three that make up the Old Mortality, which is located directly in front of the main gatehouse. There is also a Yellow Fever Memorial that was erected in 1855, and this was dedicated to the first responders who helped fight the Yellow Fever epidemic in Portsmouth, Virginia. Several historic cities that we have featured have had streets with old mansions that are known as Millionaire's Row. Laurel Hill has a grouping of mausoleums that's referred to as Millionaire's Row. Oh, that was kind of cool. Very much so. I love it. And it looks awesome. I would love to go check this out. There are so many really cool mausoleums there. One of the coolest memorials belongs to the William Warner family. It features the Angel of Death as a stern-looking woman with a gown slipping down one of her shoulders and she's opening the granite sarcophagus behind her as though she's releasing the soul trapped inside. This soul appears as a winged face rising from the open tomb in a flame made of stone. 
And if I can get a picture of that, I'll put it up on Instagram. Yes, please do. In 1913, a Doric terracotta receiving vault was built in South Laurel Hill. During the 1970s, Laurel Hill fell into a bit of disrepair and suffered vandalism. It wouldn't be until 1973 that people of color were allowed to be buried here. The Friends of Laurel Hill Cemetery oversee the care of the burials. In 2013, a bronze statue of a Civil War soldier that was made in 1883 and used to be at Mount Moriah Cemetery was brought here and rededicated. More than 75,000 people are buried at Laurel Hill, and burials continue today. Some of these burials are of notable and prominent people, including 40 Civil War-era generals that include General George Meade. Matthias W. Baldwin was the founder of the Baldwin Locomotive Works, which became one of the largest and most successful locomotive manufacturing firms. He has a statue in front of the Philadelphia City Hall, and his monument at Laurel Hill stands tall over his and his wife Sarah's graves. Sarah Josepha Hale was an American writer, and she wrote the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb, which we all know from childhood. And who wouldn't want to have a little lamb that everywhere you go goes with you? Sarah was also known for campaigning for the holiday of Thanksgiving to be created, and she pushed for the Bunker Hill Monument to be built. She died at the age of 90 and has a very simple tombstone that contains only her name and birth date and death date. For somebody who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, I'm like, they could have at least put a lamb on it or something. I wonder if she wanted it that way. Probably. I mean, she probably didn't care at that point, but. Six passengers from the Titanic are memorialized here. William Crothers Dulles died and his body was recovered. His marker states he died from Titanic. Which is kind of odd because it's like died from Titanic. Like, yeah, it worded a yeah, little strangely. And that's exactly what it says because I looked right at the picture and I'm like, died from Titanic. It'd be one thing to say died on the Titanic. Right. Or, but I mean, the Titanic didn't necessarily kill them. <laughs> Mrs. Lily A. Potter survived the sinking and lived to be 98 and helped found the Southeastern Pennsylvania chapter of the American Red Cross. Mrs. Olive Potter Coleus was Lily's daughter, and she survived as well. Mrs. Eleanor Elkins Widener survived the tragedy because she had boarded the last lifeboat to leave the Titanic. She left behind her husband and son, and they both perished. Her husband, George Dunton Widener, was never recovered, so he has a cenotaph in the cemetery, as does their son Harry, who was also never recovered. His mother founded the Harry Elkins Widener Memorial Library at Harvard in her son's honor, and legend claims that she made this contribution on condition that every Harvard graduate be taught to swim. I don't know if that was because she knew her son couldn't swim, or I'm not sure, because if it's ice cold water, it doesn't matter if you know how to swim. You're going to go down and sink. Yeah, I don't know. Oscar Alice, who invented the Alice clamp, is buried here. Kelly, the Alice clamp are those scissor-like clamps that are used to hold tissue with these sharp teeth. Okay. Annie Francine was an actress and cabaret singer in places like the Copacabana. She performed on Broadway starring in Maine with Angela Lansbury, and I believe she took the spot of B. Arthur. And on television, she played the role of villain Flora Simpson Riley on Harper Valley PTA. And speaking of villains... She starred as the Evil Queen in the 1979 musical adaptation of the 1937 animated film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. She's buried on Millionaire Row in Michael Earhart's mausoleum, so it's all about who you know. Very cool. Circus owner Adam Forpaugh, who we talked about in our circus miniseries, is also buried here. Elisha Kent Kane was a prominent explorer of the Arctic in the 1850s. 
He was the first to chart the course that Robert Perry would use when he claimed the North Pole in 1909. Kane's body was shipped around America for two weeks before he was buried because he was so revered. And historian Henry Charles Lee has a bronze sculpture of the muse of history, Cleo, sitting on his tomb. Maybe we should have that on ours, too. And these are just a handful. There are literally, when I look to see the notable burials at Laurel Hill, like 200 names. So I just picked randomly some names that looked kind of interesting to me. Fun fact, Adrian Balboa and Polly Panino, fictional characters from Sylvester Stallone's Rocky movies, have tombstones sitting near the main gatehouse. Adrian Balboa's tombstone was used in the 2006 movie Rocky Balboa, and both headstones were used in the 2015 movie Creed. And speaking of movies, a man named Charles Van Zant was buried here. He was the first to die from a shark attack in a series of attacks that took place on the Jersey Shore in 1916. His story was immortalized in the movie Jaws. There are some interesting stories connected to some of the burials as well. One of these belongs to Dr. Elward Kirby. He not only practiced medicine but taught it, and he offered care to anyone regardless of their financial standing. When he died from a heart attack on Christmas in 1935, he left behind a small fortune to his family. But rumors circulated that he had been buried with much of his riches, including precious stones and jewelry. Why would somebody think a doctor would be buried with that? I have no idea. Some vandals broke into the Kirby family mausoleum and pried open Elwood's grave. They found no riches, but they stripped the corpse naked and stole a pair of $10 cufflinks. Kirby was redressed and given a new casket. Can you believe that? Horrible. Yeah, I'm like, uh, what are you going to do with the dead guy's clothes? I'm sorry. I know. Nobody's wearing those. Stupid. A pair of $10 cufflinks. Now, of course, back in the 30s, maybe worth a little bit more, but still. It's just terrible. Catherine Drinkhouse-Smith and her family were spiritualists. Catherine considered herself a medium. The final resting place of the family is just south of the gatehouse and is probably one of the most wordy monuments ever created. The writing features favorite quotes, street addresses, religious affiliations, and the exact times of death. Martha Drennan was the daughter of Laurel Hill's caretaker when she died in 1903. She was considered a spinster at the age of 39 and went missing in November of that year. She had been heading towards the Laurel Hill train station and was last seen walking along Kelly Drive. Her body wouldn't be found until March of 1904. A fisherman hauled in Martha's headless body. She was buried with no marker because her family couldn't afford one. And a Civil War veteran named Maurice Fagan took his own life at his family's burial plot, unable to deal with the migraines and the PTSD he suffered from. Yeah, it's sad back then they wouldn't have known anything about PTSD. Right. Free Spirit Paranormal Investigators regularly investigate the cemetery and help guide tours and hunts there. They have them all the time. So if you look up ghost hunts at Laurel Hill Cemetery, you'll probably find something somewhere that they've got an event going. Very cool. Frank Cassidy is a member of FSPI, and he said that he's experienced enough unexplained stuff here to claim that the cemetery is very active. The group has captured moans, groans, and whispers. And they claim to have seen shadow figures and indistinct shapes moving around headstones. And Kelly, I have a little advice for some of these people. Write the story somewhere. Put them online somewhere. Put them in a book somewhere. I hear all over the place that Laurel Hill Cemetery is haunted. It's one of the most haunted cemeteries. And he's saying it's very active. I literally could find almost nothing. Almost nothing about hauntings at the cemetery. I'd gone through the entire history 
And then I got to looking for the ghosts and stuff. And I went, oh, my God, is there like nothing about the hauntings here? I'd heard it was haunted. What's going on? Yeah, they do need to record it. Yeah. So there was this little snippet here. I went to their website. No information there. It just took you to the official website for the cemetery. And then I found a video on YouTube to watch. So I just was like baffled as to why nobody has put any of their stories out there if they've actually experienced up there. If you guys have, please let us know. Yeah, no kidding. Disembodied whispers are heard near the area where Martha Drennan was buried. Would make sense. I mean, if she was found supposedly murdered and never solved. Right. And she was decapitated. Yeah, I don't know if she was decapitated or not because, you know, I don't know how long she'd been in the water for. Maybe her head came detached for some reason. That's true. There's also wailing heard, and this continued even after a headstone was placed on her grave. People thought maybe she was upset because she didn't have a marker, but it continued even after they got her one. A group in 2018 heard audible whispers at Fagan's family plot. The sounds of gunshots are also sometimes heard. Napoleonic Code on YouTube attended one of the hunts offered in 2011, and their group were near the Dr. Murray's mausoleum and said, Paging Dr. Murray, are you here? Oh, no. (laughs) Behind this is an audible sound that resembles something like a scream. I'm going to go ahead and play that audio for you right now. We're currently peering into a mausoleum (laughs) of a Dr. Murray. Paging Dr. Murray. Dr. Murray, you're in the insurgent. I'll go ahead and play it one more time. We're currently peering into a mausoleum <laughs> of a Dr. Maury. Paging Dr. Maury. Dr. Maury, you're in the And now I'm going to pull out just the section where the scream is and play that for you, amped up a little bit. And one more time. An electronic device also went off at another plot for about 20 seconds. One of the investigators named Gina claimed that she was knocked down by something she couldn't see. She felt the pressure on her chest before she fell back. And she's telling this to them while they're doing this tape and everything. She's going around and telling all these different people. And a lot of people are like, well, she's been drinking. Maybe she just fell down. But she was like firm that something pushed me down. I didn't trip. And I think she went backward. And, you know, it's kind of weird for people to go backward if they trip. So had she been drinking? Maybe. I okay. <laughs> she sounded a little bit like her speech was being slurred, but I don't want to say that somebody's been drinking because some people just sound like that sometimes. But yeah, they went across this bridge and she felt like something pushed on her chest and she fell backward. Wow. And then the people who were with her just kind of dragged her away from that spot. They didn't help her up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh no. So I don't know. But that scream was a little bit creepy sounding. I'm not sure what that is. Yeah, indeed. These five cemeteries are historic and beautiful. We'd love to visit any of them because every graveyard is special. These are places filled with people who were cared for by someone at some time. From the children that fill the nurseries, to the wives and husbands, to murder victims, to the downtrodden, to the most prominent people in a city, all were special to someone. Do some of their spirits linger? Are these cemeteries haunted? That is for you to decide. More cemeteries to check out. Absolutely. Love them. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer.
You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. be joined by more than 700 union soldiers who died in Indianapolis she would be joined by more than 700 she would be she 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 would would be 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 are we making a song here <laughs> I don't know, I keep repeating it so I'm like hey, we could kind of make it like a song okay you have at it babe <laughs> We're going to get famous one way or another. Face? When you started doing that, when I looked across the computer at you, I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I know. Is she going to throw up or she just thinks I'm nuts? This area is bordered by a black metal fence, which we know all about, Kelly, because we just literally got done about an hour ago putting a small black metal fence up in our backyard. We certainly did. We got to protect all those birdies from our little doggies running around. I know. We've got the fairy garden, the bird garden, and we needed to make a way to keep the dogs from getting over there. Right. Well, the dogs don't really bother the birds, but I just like them to feel relaxed. I mean, we did have one lay an egg in the yard last year, Mm -hmm. so they seem to be feeling pretty well at home. Although really, considering our fairy garden, we should be protecting it from the birds because it has become like a horror show back there because our little people have all these big birds just trampling around inside. Kind of like a different take on Godzilla. (laughs) Yes. These birds are basically Godzilla to our little figures that are out there in the fairy garden. Their daughter Mary is built buried, buried. Bay St. Louis on the Mississippi. That's almost how you spell it. M I S S I S S I P P I. There are beautiful sh- showering shrubs. Showering shrubs? Are they showering or do they shower people with flowers? <laughs> he was wounded and died at the first run. He was wounded and. At the first run? The first run of Bull Run. The first run of Bull Run? It was a marathon. He they, didn't know what he was signing up for. They were for. running with the bulls. <laughs> Kelly, do you feel better now that you've used the F word about six times in a row? Marginally. <laughs> you know, I know that there's people like when they're getting ready to go on stage, they do all these weird things with their mouth and make all these weird noises and things like that. Is that kind of what the F word is for you when you're having a hard time reading the script? I never really considered it, but yes, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Eleanor Elkins Widener survived the tragedy because she had boarded the last light boat. Life, 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 life. It might have life, been a light boat. Maybe it, had, it was kind of light as it was, it was lighter than the, than the Titanic. <laughs> it floated. It must life, have been kind of light. Life. <laughs> because she had boarded the last lifeboat. To, because she had boarded the last light boat. You really want to call it a light boat. 
<laughs> because she had boarded the last light. <laughs> this is like, what was the thing that you kept saying the other day? You this is why I don't let anybody else edit our podcast because they'd probably throw themselves off of a tall building. Faux shizzle. <laughs> Annie Francine was an actress and cabaret singer in places like the Copacabana. Are you going to sing? At the Copa, Copacabana, the hottest spot north of Havana. At the Copa, Copacabana, <laughs> music and passion were always the fashion at the Copa. They fell in love. <laughs> Good job, babe. <laughs> Lying just kind of went. They fell in love. What was her name? Do you remember? Lola. She was a showgirl. That's right. His name was Rico, and he wore a diamond. And on television, she played the role of villain Flora Simpson Riley on Harper Valley PTA. At the Harper Valley PTA. Look, I could sing Here all we day. Go. Everybody's going to be <laughs> weeping because I can't sing, but 